Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. I I have a vivid memory. I want to kind of rewind the clock if you could. I have a vivid memory of being 15 years old, sitting on a Fender guitar stool in the middle of my dad's music store on a Saturday morning watching a parade of musicians coming in, all getting gear because they're going out to gig that night. There'd be blues guitarists, jazz pianists. Uh, There'd certainly be rock drummers. (laughs) Every once in a while, you'd see huddled in the corner an R&B group kind of practicing. There'd be classical musicians and, and, and certainly folk musicians that would be kind of coming into that space. It was like an eclectic wall of sound. I was like a kid in the candy shop. It was like a creative hurricane, just coming right at me in those moments. And I would listen to their riffs and their sounds, and I tried to copy them because I wanted to reflect their creative genius. At 15, they were my heroes. And when I felt really brave, I'd approach some of them and I'd talk to them, and they'd inevitably share their musical influences, their, their muses, their musical muses. <laughs> you know, see, just like I'm a, I'm a minister, I'm a preacher, preachers have what we call preacher's preachers. Not everyone that, not all the popular preachers are necessarily a preacher's preacher. And it's the same with a musician. Musicians have musicians' musicians. I mean, these are guys that stretch them, that push them creatively and artistically. And the name that often came up was one that I was unfamiliar with at 15 years of age. Uh, But it came from people from multiple genres. And his name was John Coltrane. Now, John Coltrane was a jazz saxophonist. He died in 1967 at the age of 40. He was known for his bebop early in his jazz career and then into a more avant-garde jazz expression later. He influenced and inspired thousands of musicians. One of his seminal works was a work called A Love Supreme that he penned just three years before his death. Uh, Here, I'm going to give you just a sample of what it sounded like. This is John Coltrane. Well, that's one of the rare recordings of him doing it live and video, but it's worth your listen. On the liner notes of this album, though, A Love Supreme, 32 minutes of musical genius, he wrote this. He said, during the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening, which has led me to a richer, fuller, and more productive life. At the time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music, to inspire them to realize more and more of their capacities for living meaningful lives, because there certainly is meaning to life. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God, John Coltrane. 
Now, what is John doing there? John is recognizing the creative power that has been gifted to him and that that creative power has the ability to change people's lives. That, that music can tell the most hopeless heart that there's still hope. That music could tell the most meaningless heart that there's still meaning in life. If you're an artist or a creative, creator in any form, that power is at work every time you create, every time you express. It has the power to change the people around you. John Coltrane is also in those liner notes really acknowledging that all art, all beauty, all meaning, meaning comes from God. I think it's really, he's reflecting what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, when he says, we are God's artwork created by God to do good works. There's an activity we're created to do, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. When you know you're his artwork, that influences. Now your art, your work, the song of your life is meant to reflect meaning and beauty and hope to the world around you. A question then Is meaning, hope, and beauty, is that kind of the reflection of the relationships you have with people? Is that a reflection of your work activities? See, last week, Pastor Keith helped us to see about the preexistence of Jesus. Uh, I loved where he went last week, and in a moment, we're going to pick up the same passage of Scripture. But he kind of described to us the God-man. And at first, it's the God-man is what we're celebrating at Christmas. Jesus come in human flesh, a babe in the manger that would grow to be a man to lay down his life. But Pastor Keith helped us to see that, yes, he is the God-man, but, but he was God before he was ever man. That God has always been. Jesus has always existed. There was never a moment where Jesus didn't exist. And he used John chapter 1 to enter into this teaching, and I want to pick up on where he left off. John the Apostle says this, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Listen to what John is saying. John is saying, he starts out by saying, in the beginning, in the beginning. Anyone who's a Bible reader knows this harkens back to the creation narrative. And John does this intentionally. He's marrying the words so we can make the, draw the connections through his first century readers and certainly for us here in 2021. He, it goes back to Genesis, the opening narrative there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whatever else John wants us to know in this gospel, he wants us to know that he is revealing and he's talking about the creator God. And John continues, he said, and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, why does John use the word, that, this word, word, to describe the person of Jesus? Well, he's doing, again, really interesting literary tool. See, God spoke this world into existence. He used words to create this word, world. And now, after sin got in and broke and distorted it, it started a long story of reclamation, a long recreation narrative. And finally, finally, there's going to be a final word that's going to restore his creation. And that word is Jesus. You see, words are powerful. Words can shape lives. You know, words like these, I love you, <laughs> or, or it's time to go, or you're fired, 
all of these words create new situations. All of these words will be remembered well beyond the moment they were uttered. They live on in people's minds and psyches. They shape their realities. Words are very powerful. And that's why the Bible would say there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And why so much of the Proverbs is about guarding our tongues. Why? Because they're very powerful. We can create things around us. And here's what's interesting. The Bible says that God regularly acts by his word. The psalmist says this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens and earth were created. The prophet Isaiah said this, God's word will go out of his mouth and bring life, healing, and hope to the whole of his creation. See, that's part of what lies behind John's choice of word here. He's trying to reveal who Jesus really is. He's pulling us back into the creation narrative that we know that Jesus is fundamentally the creator of this world, God in triune nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he goes and he kind of leads right into his next line. And God created everything through him. Everything through him. See, the theme of John's gospel, as you read it, it's interesting gospel. It's very different than the other ones. The last half of it deals with the last week of Jesus' life. What John does is say, he points in his gospel and he says, listen, if you want to know who God is, take a long, hard look at Jesus. And he's saying in the opening chapters here, if you want to know who the creator is, take a long, hard look at Jesus. See, in the, God, in the Genesis narrative, God gets his hands dirty he gets into the dust. He's making and forming things. And artists know that. Artists knows, all artists know that it's out of the earthy kind of tough places that beautiful things come. It's actually, it's sometimes in the, in the dark paths, some of the dark places, the non-glamorous, sweaty moments that produce the most beauty in life. So this final word is Jesus is coming back into his, he's coming into his creation and he's going to get his hands dirty. He's going to come alongside the broken. He's going to, he's going to call out the power structures that are there oppressing people. He's, he's going to get dirty. And he's going to be laid low, dust to dust. He takes the long, hard, dark pathway to recreate a way back to God. To give us hope. See, the final word which is Jesus, smiles at death and evil and loss and reminds it that they have all lost their power. Power to control our destiny. Power to have the final say. Now he has the final say. So how does Jesus being creator, how does that impact our lives today in 2021? Well, two ways. It should impact our life and change our perspective in this life. And I'm going I'm to challenge many of us tonight because I think many of us will accept Jesus as Savior but not as Creator. And you'll see the difference in a moment. See, Jesus as Creator challenges our perspective, the way we see the world. And Jesus as Creator challenges our lifestyle. So let's jump into it and let's talk about perspective first. I remember um, years ago flying out of St. John, New Brunswick, which was my home city, on the way to Toronto. And it had a brief stopover in Fredericton, New Brunswick, because it was a much smaller city. Because it was such a short distance, uh, the plane was fairly low. 
So I got to see the highways in New Brunswick and twisting and turning. And if you've ever been to New Brunswick, you know it's tons of forest, tons of evergreens and everything else. And you'd see the twisty highway. And most of the highways I saw at that time were kind of single-lane highways. And inevitably, you'd see at one point like a logging truck or some sort of big industrial truck. And there'd be a lineup of cars behind it because there weren't many places to pass. And from my vantage point, I could see that they had plenty of open space ahead of them. And there'd be a part of me going like, why don't you pass them? But they can't see beyond the truck. There's no passing lane, so they have limited perspective. Occasionally, I'd see one of the drivers, though, get a little anxious, want to make things happen, and they pull out to pass the truck, but I can see danger coming. Because from my vantage point, I see another vehicle coming around the bend. And I'd watch them just pull back in in time. And very dangerous activity. I wished in those moments when I was in that plane, I thought, man, I wish I could tell them. Okay, it's good to go. Everybody pass right now. Or, hey, don't go. There's danger ahead. Stay tucked in behind the truck. You see, Jesus, if he is our creator, he has a different perspective on his creation than we do. Ours is, we're in the car and we're driving through life. He can see your beginning to the end. He knows what's ahead. He knows those moments where you're better tucked behind a truck than trying to make something happen. See, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, he knew this really well. John the Baptist, after he had baptized Jesus and he had kind of, uh, uh, he, he had a moment where his followers came to him and said, listen, now everybody's going over to Jesus. Now everybody's looking to him. Hey, don't you understand? They're leaving our church and they're going to his church. Our giving is down 50%. John, what are you going to do? But John the Baptist, now he got it. He, He said to his followers, you're forgetting. You're forgetting something. I'm from the earth. I'm from below. He's from above. I'm on the highway. He's in the plane. Hey guys, you're forgetting. I must increase or decrease so he can increase You're forgetting who he is. When we accept Jesus as Savior, it's an acknowledgement that we need his activity in our life to free us up, to forgive us, to restore us. We recognize that. But when we accept Jesus as creator, we're acknowledging that he has perspective that supersedes ours, that he sees things we don't see, and he speaks by his word. He transmits by his word so we can understand a better way of living. Now, how are you doing at accepting his perspective in life? Let's do a little litmus test, if you would. See, when it comes to perspective in life, there's some hard teachings Jesus does, some really hard teachings. He teaches about telling the truth. We live in an era where the truth is really has a lot of spin attached to it. Have you noticed that? It's not as easy to tell the truth. Maybe it's never been. It's always been hard. It's so simple, but hard. He would talk about being radically generous with our money. That, that doesn't sit well with us. Uh, we want to maybe be a little generous, but radically generous. He talks about saving sex for marriage. He talks about loving your enemies. These are really hard truths. They're really hard truths. They're difficult perspectives on life. It's hard for us to take on. But Jesus would say, hey, this is for all Torontonians. And there's a part of us that goes, this is not practical. This is impractical. No one lives this way. If I do this, everyone will take advantage of me. If I do this, life will pass by me. We feel the impracticality of it. 
And Jesus is saying when he gives us this, he's trying to say, listen, I see things from the plane. I see you trying to get out around that truck and you're past, trying to pass the wrong time in the wrong way. And he's saying, he's saying, listen, I want you to know something. You know, you can go to Jesus for forgiveness and even a sense of acceptance, but you can reject his instruction in life, his perspective on life. And you know those three four quadrants, it's, you know, money, sex, power, and relationships. Those three thing, four things, sometimes we look at them and we think, well, Jesus' teaching is impractical in 2021 around those areas. I wonder how many of us have accepted him as Savior, but not as Creator. He's up in the plane. He's the one who created all of creation. He's the one with the instructions on how it works best. See, because he's created it, he has an authority around it. You see, I speak words about God. He spoke the words of God, the very words of God. If you want to get some insider information on a family, ask a family member. If you want some insider information on life, ask the creator. I was thinking about it because... uh, just this last week, I was spending some time editing a, a, a master's thesis for a friend of mine. And she wrote these brilliant creative works with uh, both a primary and secondary meaning, but they're beautiful. Now, you and I could sit down and read these incredibly creative works, and we might have a disagreement as to what the meaning is. Uh, you might think it means this. I might think it means that. But if the author walked into the middle of our debate and the author said, well, no, this is what it means. Now, you can't say then, you know, well, I, I think it has a different meaning. The author's going to say, listen, I wrote it. I know exactly what it means. This is what it means. It ends the debate right there. Now, why does the author have the authority to make that determination? Because they created it. And so Jesus is the author. He has authority in our lives because he's the creator of all life. See, Jesus comes into your life and he says, I have the authority. Do you understand that? And he invites us in to see life from his perspective. And he's speaking from that plane by his spirit. He gives instructions by the word of God. He helps us to understand how life can work well for us. And we all struggle with it at one level or another. But when you accept Jesus as creator, We say, God, your perspective is higher than my perspective. I see short term. I just see the truck in front of me that I'm trying to get around, the barrier, the obstacle. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's a timing, there's a moment, and there's a way. Would you trust me? So we're invited to trust Jesus as creator. And we're also, and it it, it forms our perspective, but we're also invited to see Jesus as creator and that should change our lifestyle, changes the way we live our lives. When we accept Jesus as creator, it means we live radically different lives. Just like it said in Ephesians 2 verse 10, we acknowledge we are his artwork and he's prepared for us to do good works and he's prepared in advance for us to do those things. So what work? Well, there's commonality for all of humanity after the creation narrative. And I hope this encourages many of you today. Listen, he invites us all to be workers. All of us are to be workers. Now, the Greek philosophers and even the elite of our day, they kind of look demeaning on, on natural, like hard work, physical labor. 
They, we'll use terms like this. Uh, it'll be blue collar work or menial labor or grunt, labor, grunt work. And instead of in the Greek times, it would have been the elites, would have been the philosophers. And in our era, it would be the, the leaders or the rich or the influential. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can look down on menial work. But we need to understand the moment God got his hands in the dirt and got them dirty in the Genesis narrative, no longer, no longer is work menial. Instead, old-fashioned, hard work, physical work has forever given a dignity because of Genesis 1. And Jesus, of course, practiced this. He was a worker. He was involved in construction. He was involved in the service of other human beings. So Christians, we should honor people who use their hands and work in service to make the world a better place. And some of them get their hands really dirty. And really, we should be honoring those people. And none of us should be above being a worker. All of us. You know, I love this church because I've noticed even when we're open and we've reopened, but, uh, you know, people are volunteering. They might be in some sort of uh, corner suite, but they can also be in our parking lot directing traffic or they can be serving with our kids uh, because there's nothing above us. We love, there's a great joy in working. There's also this. We're all called to be thinkers. We're also called to be thinkers. Christians are to be thinkers, not just workers. You see, if God created everything and we want to understand God, one of the ways we understand God is by understanding the things that he's created. Christians are thinkers. In fact, science came as an art, as a institution out of faith or out of religion as people understood that God's, really, God's creation was both orderly. There was an orderedness to it. There was a rational order to it. And science came and talked about what that looked like and trying to describe that. And that means then as Christians, we don't ignore thinkers. We participate with thinkers and we honor them and we listen to them. That's why as a church community, as we've just gone through this pandemic and we're still going and I knew there's a new variant out there right now, but I'm, I'm listening to the scientists and the medical professionals. Why? Because what does it matter what a pastor thinks about COVID-19? What it matters is, is what thinkers that are spending their life doing that, we honor the, the work of thinking that God created and gave us abilities to do. So we honor workers, we honor thinkers, and then we are all called to be excavators. Every one of us is called to be excavators. We're to mine God's creation to find the beauty and the wonder that's in it. When God created the earth, the last five days of the creation narrative, he fills it. And then he tells us as humans to go and fill it likewise. We're to do that. In other words, God's put all kinds of potentialities in creation, all kinds of wonder, all kinds of opportunity in creation. And we're to dive deeply into the riches of that and bring it out. It's like when someone writes a song, like we wrote that song, Unbelievable. I say we, meaning I had nothing to do with it, but our, our, our production team wrote that song, Unbelievable. Once you once someone writes a song and they put four notes together maybe that never have been previously put together in that order and people go, wow, what's happening there is you're pulling out the potential of creation. You're, you're developing and you're excavating creation and that's all of our jobs. Our job is not just to consume from creation. We're, 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 we're probing into creation. We're trying to find the beauty of it and we're trying to illuminate it. 
So we're called to be workers and thinkers and excavators. We're also called to be rebuilders of God's creation. Jesus came back into the world to recreate, to restore, and we're a part of that. God cares for all of his creation. So Christians don't just talk about uh, sharing Jesus with others or discipleship. We also talk about the, the need for uh, affordable housing and warm housing and opportunities for those that might be kept down by systemic uh, systems or anything that might uh, lend to safer streets and food for all and, and decent opportunities for all. It's not just the Christian's job to fight against spiritual brokenness, but the physical brokenness to make our city a better place to live in. So we're workers, we're thinkers, we're excavators, we're rebuilders, and we're enjoyers. I'm almost done. We're enjoyers. We're meant to be enjoyers. When God created everything in this world, he said, it is good. It is good. That's his, that's his rendered judgment about his creation. Now, what did he mean by it is good? Did he mean morally good? Or did he mean it performs well? Like when God looks at the ocean and he says, it is good, is it morally good? Well, it's nothing to do with morality right there. Is it performing well? That's, that's not what the word means. When God says it is good, it means it is beautiful. It is enjoyable. It's beautiful and enjoyable. God created this wondrous world for you to enjoy, for you to participate in, to find beauty in. One of the Christian's job, one of our greatest jobs is to enjoy God's creation. Why do you think the first miracle that Jesus performs in scripture is at a wedding feast and he, he turns water into wine? Well, for the sheer enjoyment and wonder and beauty of it, Friends, have you accepted him as creator? Has he shifted your perspective and how you see things? That now he is also your shaper? You're trusting his voice over your wants or desires? Have you allowed it to influence the way you live, that you begin to see that we all have a role in God's creation? There's something for us to do. One of your jobs as an enjoyer is to go out there and listen to great music. It's to taste great food and explore it. It's to go into nature and the seashores and, and the forests and just see God's handicraft work and find joy in it. It's to go out there and enjoy what God has made. John Coltrane, when he, sang, when he played uh, A Love Supreme, this 32-minute masterpiece, he stepped down from the stage and he was heard uh, saying to someone who was in the audience that day, who's heard saying these Latin words, ning dimitis, which means now release. And it's interesting what he was saying. These two words are actually taken from Luke chapter two in the Christmas story, where the priest Simeon, uh, Mary and Joseph present their son Jesus to him and he realizes, I've just seen, I'm seeing the Messiah right now. And here's what he said. He said, Lord, let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen my salvation. What Coltrane meant when he said these words was I've done it. I've done what I've been placed on this earth to do. If it's my time to go, I can go now. Man, I'd love everyone that's listening tonight to be able to say this at the end of their life. Now release me. I've done everything you put me on earth to do. I'm ready to go. Some of you have so many gifts. 
talents and abilities, opportunities, energies, strengths. Some have been gifted with great minds, great hands, energy, the ability to build bridges with other human beings. Some of you have such a great gift of hospitality. Whatever it is, stop looking at what others have. Start looking what God has placed in your hands. Just as that saxophone was in John Coltrane's hand, what has God placed in your hands and how can you do it to reflect hope and meaning and beauty in this world? See, have you accepted Jesus as Savior and Creator? See, I think for me, friends, I was welcoming Jesus in my life to help me through life. (laughs) But I wasn't really inviting him to shape me through life uh, because I still wanted to do what I wanted to do. But you couldn't invite me into, you couldn't say, hey, Jonathan, come into this room, but leave Smith outside the room. (laughs) Jonathan comes with Smith. It's Jonathan Smith. And you can't invite Jesus in your life just as Savior to forgive you of something and not have him come in as creator. He's come for all of you. And friends, I'd say this, reach for all of him. All that he has for you, the freedom, the joy, the the participation in life. You are a creative genius because you serve a creative God. It may not look like it. You may not think I'm an artist, a, a, a mechanic, that finds joy and reflects joy in serving others and repairing their vehicles or whatever, there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty of service in that as a worker. There are many things in our life that whatever it is that God's placed in our hand, we have an opportunity to bring hope, meaning, and beauty to this world. Jesus came to do that. Why don't we do that? So Father, I thank you, God, for everyone viewing tonight. I thank you, Jesus, for just the work you've done in each of our lives. We recognize your closeness. And God, I pray that you would, oh God, we just invite you to not just be the savior of our life, but the creator of our life. We invite you as creator into our lives. Help us to see things from your perspective and plane. And help us to hear your voice directing us through this life. And God, we welcome you influencing our lifestyle God, help us to live in a way, God, that we are looking to enjoy the creation that you've placed around us. That, God, we're honoring of workers and thinkers, God. God, that we are, as a people, God, are excavating moments and rebuilding moments so we can reflect your glory to those around us. Help us to bring hope and meaning and beauty to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.